1: I'm your co-host, Chad Dundas from bleacherreport.com. Sitting alongside, as always, from MMA Junkie in USA today, it's your friend and mine, Mr. Ben, folks. Ben, we got a lot to talk about this week, uh, maybe more than ever before, considering the upcoming, uh, UFC schedule and the weekend we just had packed full of mixed martial arts action. Uh, but I did want to ask you, you are recently returned from the city of Las Vegas, that's right. recently annexed by the fictional country of Ireland. (laughs) Yes. Give us a brief scene report. A brief scene report? Well, I
2: walked out of the MGM Grand Arena at about 1 a.m. on early Sunday morning after the event, you know, feeling like, okay, that night's over. We had a great event, starting to come down now, did the press conference, going to just walk out there, maybe get a hamburger somewhere. Uh, and then I was greeted by just a wall of humanity standing out there, jumping up and down, singing that Olay song the Irish people love. Several of the gentlemen seemed to have misplaced their shirts, and I realized, wait a minute, this shit is kind of just starting.
1: They're it, just getting warmed up.
2: Yeah. It was got to be a rough night for the Las Vegas Police Department. On my way home to the airport in the morning, uh, the next day at like, 10 a.m. My cab driver was telling me about watching about 12 drunk Irishmen try to pick a fight with three dudes in a Maserati at like 4 a.m.
1: You know, the last time I was in Vegas for a fight, it was uh, Halloween weekend.
2: Ooh, spooky.
1: So, And I had one of those flights where you have to get up super early in the morning to make it back to Montana because there's only like one flight. Pretty much all flights to get back to to, Montana. That goes to Montana, uh, and so it was like four or five o'clock in the morning when I was exiting the hotel, and the cab that I was getting into, out of that cab stumbled, I believe, a drunken Raggedy Ann, Tarzan, and like an Indian princess.
2: Wow. Just
1: returning from their, from their, I guess, trick or treating. I guess they were out trick or treating.
2: And set to go up to their suite and have a just a freaky just a threesome.
1: Banging threesome. Yeah. The thing
2: I kept wondering when I would see the, The drunk and just ebullient Irish fans was, did you not, did nobody ever feel like maybe we should try to be bigger than the stereotype here?
1: Did anybody just be like, you know what, hey, let's go there as ambassadors and let's all take it easy. As you well know, most of fight sports is about embracing the stereotype. Okay. Your cultural stereotype. That's fair. Once again, this episode of the co-main event podcast is brought to you by DraftKings.com. If you haven't checked out the Daily Fantasy MMA at DraftKings.com, you better get on that. This week, there's no shortage of UFC action with a fight card on Wednesday and a fight card on Saturday and then another fight card the week after that and then another fight card the week after that. To me, it sounds like a lot of chances to win. It's easy. Just pick your fighters, pile up the points, and pick up your cash. That's it. Score points for significant strikes, advances, takedowns, knockdowns, and more. Ben, I heard that DraftKings still wants to send some CME listeners to watch TJ Dillashaw fight Henan Barrau. Tell them how they get in on that action.
2: Well, Chad, you hurry to DraftKings.com now and use code CME to play for free this weekend. First place takes home 20 grand. Finish in the top 10 and qualify to win the Reebok prize package, which includes two tickets to UFC fight night Dillashaw versus Brow 2 in Chicago, hotel and airfare, and tons of Reebok gear. Enter CME now at DraftKings.com. That's DraftKings.com.
1: Three rounds as usual this week in the co Event Podcast. In round number one, Conor McGregor conquered the damn world this weekend. Which is really pretty incredible once you reckon that he didn't look terrific in his actual fight. And in round number two, And lo, the Red King did fall at the hands of Sir Robert Glen Lawler, First of his name, King of the Andals and the First Men, Lord of the Seven Kingdoms and Protector of the Realm. And in round number three, yes, of course it's weird when there's a 32-year-old man whose nickname is Wonderboy, and he keeps calling John Anik baby. But I'm not going to say anything about it. Did you guys see what happened to Jake Ellenberger? All that, plus are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff. But right now, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail.
2: That voice you did there. For the intro to round two. That was something.
1: That's a... You've been
2: working on that all day? That's my
1: town crier voice. Yeah. Game of Thrones reference there. Man,
2: it's kind of just a shame that we don't live in another era where
1: you could really put that to good use. That's like a voice actor, radio voice actor. Yeah. First question this week comes to us from Jeff of Atlanta. He writes, Corn Nuts, Metro PCS, Toyo Tires, Muscle Farm, Fram Oil Filters, Monster Energy Drink, Bud Light, Harley Davidson, the movie Southpaw, DraftKings. An excellent sponsor, if there ever was one. These were the sponsored scatter- sponsors scattered across the cage at UFC 189. I found it odd and maybe a tad hypocritical to see the fighters only wearing Reebok, but the cage itself plastered with ads as usual. If... The UFC is so determined to create a clean and professional look, shouldn't it start with its own fighters or its own fighting surface? And then it says this this is topical. It says discourse. That's just gonna happen now, huh? Yes, it is. Okay. By the way, no one ever in their right mind has ever used discourse as a verb. Secondary definition or no. I'm just still throwing that out there.
2: Well, I mean, somebody has. It's it's gonna happen to us over and over. the more you fight against this. The more...
1: Don't, don't... Hey, you were on board with discourse as a non-verb. You know, but
2: I can see that the will of the people is against us on this one, and I can
1: accept that. I am also willing to accept the will of the people with the caveat that nobody uses discourse as a verb. All right. Well, let's move on to Jeff of Atlanta's question here. First week end of the Reebok fight kits in action at an actual UFC event, uh... We were three fights into it and I had written, I think, two tweets and someone had already told me to shut up about it. That it was quote unquote time to move on from the Reebok analysis. It's the first fight. That's what I said. That was my response. I had seen the exact number of fights that I was required to see to author an opinion. <laughs> I couldn't author an opinion after only seeing one fight. So after the third fight, I was like, it's kind of weird that they're all just black and white. It's kind of hard to tell everybody apart. That seems like a, that seems like a very a strange choice to me. And I will say as an addendum to that story, we got more male. Listener mail this week about the Reebok deal than anything else. Really? Yeah, not even close.
2: Even after that event?
1: Yeah. Wow. It was like, we got a lot about Conor McGregor uh, and a lot about Reebok, but I would say Reebok by a nose. You know, what I was noticing watching this one
2: was I didn't even really notice the Reebok gear in the top three fights main card basically yeah. because I know everybody and you know everybody pretty well uh, who's fighting in that spot and so you're not even really paying attention to what they're wearing unless it's ridiculous it's on the prelims though where you know you have a couple guys who one fight in the UFC two fights in the UFC you don't know as well and you're basically like okay so I'm watching the guy in black with the white stripe against the guy in white with the black stripe over and over again, like the next guys who come out are going to be wearing the exact same things, like just basically the same shorts in a, in opposing color schemes. Uh, and when the prelims already make it kind of difficult sometimes with these UFC events that we've seen lately where they're just kind of cycling a lot of people through in and out, it's already kind of tough to tell who we're watching here, why we give a damn about them uh, and keep them all straight in your head. This makes it significantly tougher.
1: Yeah, well, and I think that's you just made the 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 best point in that when the fights are great, you don't notice this stuff. And that is sort of like makes this issue a microcosm for what we've been saying about the entire UFC product for like the entire life of this podcast, right? Is that when shit is awesome, yes, you don't notice all of the stuff that is happening to kind of undermine uh the the per- the product basically. But that puts a lot of uh, weight a lot of uh, you know, expectation on how the fights are going to be. Like, if everything goes off perfectly, which frankly everything pretty much did at UFC 189, at least during the main card. Uh, yeah, it's an awesome time. It's like the best time that there is. When stuff doesn't go perfectly, it really falls apart in a hurry. And it's yeah. be- because of what has happened uh to the UFC, I guess, product over the last couple of years. Um, you know who really takes it in the shorts? No pun intended, with this with this dude gear. Uh corner men.
0: Yeah. Because
1: holy shit, if when you're wearing like a skin tight white tracksuit, you do not look good if you are sporting what could charitably be referred to as a man on the street build.
2: Yeah, that's not for everybody. That look is not for everybody.
1: No. And you know what? That like the actual fight kits that like when the when the fight is happening are fine. Like I don't really have a problem with them. Uh I do think it would be nice to have an array of colors that could be chosen from. Yeah. They don't even have to have a ton of crazy designs, just like more colors. Because I thought that like weirdly enough on Sunday night for the tough 21 finale, which I don't know if you watched, I watched it
2: this afternoon. Yeah.
1: Uh, because you were probably traveling home, but like, frankly, I thought that the gear that the people wore in the ultimate fighter fights and what the cornermen wore, which were like basically UFC t-shirts or like, they had Black Zillion and American Top Team t-shirts. The Black Zillion t-shirts, by the way, clearly a ripoff of the font from the Black Flag logo, uh, which was kind of strange.
2: You are the master of identifying which teams are ripping off well-known logos. Well, if you I did didn't... it with Rufus Sport and Milwaukee Tools. If I didn't
1: learn the fonts when I went to journalism school, I don't know what I was doing there. Uh, <laughs> I thought that the, the the Ultimate Fighter gear and the Cornerman outfits were frankly better than than what Reebok has. And they were just, you know, they're very plain shorts that just say UFC up the side. I don't know why we need to make it more complicated than it has to be.
2: Well, to Jeff Atlanta's point, the the look of the Octagon still looking like a minor league baseball outfield does give the lie to the claim that we're doing this for the sake of professionalism, like right. for, to go for a cleaner look, um, that it's about that and not about you know money uh, and just trying to align yourself with a bigger brand that can give you a big check all at once. Uh, I, th- because it does make no sense if you're so concerned with a look of professionalism that, you know, you, you're branding every possible thing you can and splashing logos across every square inch of the octagon. That does tell us, like, hey, there's – and not so much tell us as remind us the UFC sees one rule for fighters and another rule for itself.
1: Yeah, you can only look so professional when people are getting ready in the Fram prep point. Brought to you by Fram. Brought to you by Fram. Uh, and it is, I think kind of silly to debate the, like the fashion of the whole thing. And, and I think that we'll pretty quickly move on from all of that. Although I do feel like it's, it's a shame and it's going to continue to be a shame that a lot of people are losing a lot of money. Yeah, uh, you know what on this deal. uh
2: when I was I was backstage for the first half for the for the prelims, basically talking to the guy they about the winners back there and everything, and we do our, our interviews. And one of the things I asked all the guys to get kind of an array of answers to it was basically, you know, what do you think about the Reebok stuff about fighting in them? Um and nobody was, you know, willing to say too much there other than, yeah, it's great, I like it. Um but also how does the money you're making now compare? And for several of the guys, you know, and these are prelim guys, and they were saying, oh, it's about the same. It's more or less the same um and then other people saying like yeah I'm taking a little bit of a hit here uh and when I asked them like well one of the UFC's claims is like hey this way the money's guaranteed right you don't have to worry about a sponsor not paying you you don't have to try to chase down a sponsor 90 days after your fight's uh been over and he's still not paying you 10 days you get your money and you know exactly what it's going to be does that make a difference to you and every single one of them that I asked that said you know what I've never had that problem like, I understand people say they've had that problem, and the UFC says that, that people have had that problem. I've never had it myself.
1: Yeah. The next question this week comes to us from Ryan Manahan. He writes, UFC 189 really turned up the production quality, and the end product looked a lot more like WWE events than the run-of-the-mill traveling UFC show. What did you make of all the bells and whistles, and how much of of the hoopla do you think they'll keep from show to show? Uh, we just kind of ripped them on the Reebok thing. So I want to make sure to give the UFC credit on this. I thought that the revamped look of the pay-per-view broadcast was kind of amazing in, yeah. in how much more professional and modern it looked than the old style of, of UFC graphics. Uh, and they had a, a, a professional production and design company, I believe called Troika from LA, uh, revamp the, the logo a little bit and revamp all of the, the graphics, uh, and it looked like a thousand times better. And we've been saying on this show for a long time that the UFC kind of needed a visual uh, update and they appeared to finally get that. Uh, And then before the co-main event and main event showed a goddamn hype video on the floor of the cage, which was some kind of dark wizardry, which I don't even know how they managed that. Uh, But it it was kind of awesome. And then once you get into Sinead O'Connor and Aaron Lewis singing the singing the walkouts for conor mcgregor and chad mendez which you know i think we've talked before about live music performing at mma events doesn't isn't my favorite but uh it came off kind of about as well as you could expect just it did to, just depend you know once you consider that it was something that they were going to do so i thought it was kind of a home run for the ufc at, at 189 in terms of production values really yeah. just like a, a million times better than how it had been
2: it was and you know dana white was talking about it a little bit afterwards at the press conference and he has, in the past, kind of like said that he resists that element of pageantry, which I love. I mean, I think especially uh, if you... It, it seems like it's kind of what,
1: you know, an integral part of fight sports, frankly.
2: Yeah, especially if you want to find a way to communicate to us that this is a big event, that this is something different and special. Uh, stuff like that is a great way to do it. He was saying, and I think this is actually a good point on his, his part, that the thing he resisted before about live music walkouts was that in boxing, you know, it's always... Method Man standing there holding the microphone, standing behind the guy or something like that, and he doesn't like that, like the dude just walking out with the guy singing in the microphone and, and not separate focal points for those two things. And so that's why they did the the little lifts that brought the, the performers up on opposite corners there, kind of in the arena. And he was saying that the cost associated with doing that made him finally understand why the boxing guys do it with the guy just walking out with a microphone. Uh, also he seemed, he wouldn't, John Morgan asked him at the press conference, you know, which of these changes that we saw is a permanent change and which was just for tonight because it was something special. And he wouldn't really answer that question directly. You did get the sense that the live music thing was probably just a, a special thing he said though that when they thought it was going to be jose aldo still they were talking to rihanna and trying to figure out if she could come and sing his walkout music so they really were committed it sounds like to putting on a really great show there it just seems unclear how much of that stuff is going to stick around the updated graphics package and everything seems like yeah. that's probably the the new way we're, we're going to see it and I, I agree with you that was totally awesome uh some of the other stuff though I don't know. We maybe just see it for big special pay per views. Did
1: you read uh, Greg Beecham, the AP writer's story about the the new graphics about how they really subtly changed the logo that was picked up by the Washington Post that made the rounds on Twitter? I did
2: not see that story, but I got that email from the UFC, which at first I was kind of excited and interested in, where it said UFC unveils new brand identity. Right. And then I saw the logo and I was like, wait, so you changed the C?
1: Yeah. It's. I mean, it's one of those weird things where it's like the such a subtle uh, change that you wouldn't notice it if they didn't point it out. No. But then like it said in the, in the Greg Beecham story, the quote from Dana white, like once you see the new one, then it's impossible to look at the old one. Like once you see the new, the the subtle change in the C, which really does kind of make it look more modern and sleek. Once you see the old logo with the, with the C that looks like the head of a wrench, uh, it just looks stupid. It was just weird. <laughs> and it's, it's just like you wouldn't even notice it. But once you see the new one, it just ruins the old one. That is
2: something when we were talking, all the, the media people talking about the, uh, new logo and, uh, Casey Leiden, uh, of MMA fighting fame, uh, the, the videographer there, uh, perfectly summed it up when we were looking, kind of comparing the two, the two logos, the two C's. And he was just like, well, it's less wrenchy, which I guess that's a good thing, right? It is less, less wrenchy. wrench-y?
1: Uh, also, one more note on the production values thing before we move on from that uh kinda in your face Bellator because we've been talking the last couple of uh quote unquote tent pole bellator events about the the big screen that they have and how it makes the event feel more fun, brings sort of a production value element that the u f c had uh, purposefully done away with in the olden times, back when there used to be smoke and lasers when guys used to walk out. And we just kind of made the point, like, it makes Bellator feel a little bit special, like, gives them this production element that makes it feel fun. Uh, I don't know that, like, that those Bellator changes had anything to do with revamping the image of the UFC, but in kind of a subtle way, it felt like the UFC stole back all of that, like, Kind of swagger of being the top MMA promotion in the world, where it's just sort of like you're going to have your little screen. Okay, well, here's some fucking hype videos on the floor of the cage in your face. Scott Coker. You
2: know what, though? I I had that similar thought, though. But the way I thought of it was this is kind of proof of what we've been saying a lot of times is that competition makes everybody better. Uh, in the space that the UFC does not have a viable competitor kind of pushing it to look around and say, all right, what can we do here to make this feel a little more special? Uh, What can we do to improve the product? Maybe it doesn't spend the money to do this kind of stuff because that stuff is not cheap. And I think that Bellator coming on strong lately has had an effect on the UFC and and a positive one.
1: Yeah, no, I would agree with you. They would never clearly admit that publicly, but it does seem like uh It seems logical to think that Bellator's kind of steps forward in production would goose the u f c forward also to make their own uh updates Next question this week comes from Jared Junebug Jackson, nice. which frankly, if your nickname is Junebug, dude. You can just go ahead and do away with Jared, as far as I'm concerned. You could just be Junebug Jackson all the time.
2: Also, I imagine that Jared Junebug Jackson is like six foot seven and three hundred and ten pounds, just scary looking motherfucker walking around in overalls with no shirt on underneath. Hangs right? out
1: with a dude named Porkchop.
2: What's up? I'm Junebug.
1: He writes, don't get me wrong. Is that, that your wrong.
2: sandwich? I'm going to take a bite.
1: Don't get me wrong. I like I like hanging out with you guys and the rest of my Twitter fam every single weekend while I watch the UFC. But with Frank Mir fighting Todd Duffy on Wednesday and Michael Bisping fighting Talis Latus on Saturday, uh, we all have pretty bad addiction problems here, don't we? I mean, they couldn't expect normal people to watch half this stuff. And then he writes, talk. Uh, so this is another situation where it seems like proof that the fight company just can't leave well enough alone, where they put on the greatest uh, pay-per-view main of, main card in recent memory, maybe the greatest pay-per-view main card of all time. Uh, and then the very next night, you followed up with a largely forgettable Ultimate Fighter finale, and then you slam us with two more events the following week. Uh, and I think you said on Twitter that a disturbing amount of these nights had started to feel like work yes. for you and that UFC 189 did not. Uh, there, Back to work. There's going to be some fun stuff, I think, happening as, you know, the main event of the Tough 21 finale with uh, Wonderboy Thompson and Jake Ellenberger was fun. And we'll talk about that in, in round three. Uh, and, you know, Frank against Todd Duffy might be a, a kick in the in the drawers. I'm looking forward to that one. But with that one,
2: just as with the Tough 21 finale, just as with the, the event in Scotland, there's a lot of stuff you got to wade through to get to that. You know, there's a lot of uh a lot of vegetables you have to choke down to get to that pudding at the end.
1: Indeed. It still seems I think I talked about this before on the podcast, but it seems unthinkable to me that Todd Duffy rolls into this fight with Frank Mir unranked in the UFC heavyweight division, uh when he's coming off back to back first round stoppages in his UFC return. Uh I guess they were they were separated by a couple of years, but still, when you look at that UFC heavyweight top fifteen there's a place for Todd Duffy on there somewhere. There and is. If he rolls Sue Frank Mir on Wednesday in San Diego, uh, I have to assume he'll, he'll get on there finally.
2: Yeah, I'm looking forward to that one, I guess, because mainly I feel like we're closer than we've ever been or closer than we've been in a long time for Todd Duffy to finally live up to the promise of Todd Duffy. Uh, and it seems like you want to believe maybe the little extra maturity that comes with a few hard years in there will Get him in the space that he needs to be because it just seems like from the man's physical skills that he ought to be able to be totally awesome. Uh, but as to the question, I mean, I wonder that too, how much the UFC is really expecting people to watch of that kind of stuff because, you know, there's those hardcore people who will watch all this stuff, then watch some Bellator, then watch some EFC event from South Africa. Then go look up old Pancrase fights. I mean, yeah. there are those people right. out there, and God love them. Uh, I don't know how they maintain that level of enthusiasm year-round, especially for the quality of some of the fights that we see. But for most people, they're kind of going to tune out of this stuff, especially after a big event like that. And it seems like, a, like when you do have awesome fighters on the top of those cards, and you have to have somebody to kind of anchor it and, and make sure that there's something worth seeing, it seems like... Almost a disservice to them because you don't even have time to talk about the Tough 21 finale coming up or the the show you have on Wednesday or the show you have the weekend after that because you spend so much hype energy on big events like UFC 189 and rightly so that all that other stuff, like even the company itself seems to kind of forget that it's happening.
1: Yeah, we talked about that before. It, it, it contributes to making it much more difficult, I think, to establish new stars, uh, you know, <clears throat> among a, a litany of other kind of negatives that come along with it. This Saturday show uh, is from Scotland, the one where Michael Bisping is going to fight Talis Latis. Talis Latis has been back in the UFC now for a couple of years. He's won, what, six or seven fights in a row, right, dating back to 2010 when he was – he was putting in work for superior challenge. Nice. Uh so that's kinda interesting. If he can if he could he's coming off that win over Tim Boach, although strength is schedule wise. I think that win has taken a hit here recently. But uh, you know, if he beats Michael Bisping, maybe he's back in the mix. Bisping, I think, still trying to reestablish himself uh, as a you know, top contender in, in the middleweight division. Uh the bricklayer, Alir Latifi also on this card, uh, Joanne Calderwood, uh Patrick Duffy or er, Patrick Duffy that's that's from the guy from Dallas is Patrick Duffy Todd Duffy's brother Joseph Duffy maybe they're all related <laughs> I don't know uh, not even
2: spelled the same also, Come on.
1: also on this card Um. but yeah another one of those UFC cards where you look at most of it and, and it makes you think is this really necessary. Anyway, the uh, last question this week comes from Mark Featherstone. He writes, can we take some time to appreciate the excellent main card fights on Saturday that weren't title fights from Thomas Almeida's and Jeremy Stevens's perfectly placed knees to Gunnar Nelson's crisp striking to set up another great submission for the stone-faced Icelandic warrior? Yeah, as we mentioned a few minutes ago, uh, UFC 189, at least the main card of the pay-per-view, was... Fucking amazing and was one of the best cards we've seen in a really, really long time and a situation where, shit, man, it seemed like everything came up aces for the UFC. Yeah, and I think it was uh, MMA
2: fighting writer Dave Doyle who kind of pointed out after the event if this were any other run-of-the-mill UFC event, at the end of it, we'd be talking about how awesome that Jeremy Stevens-Dennis Bermudez fight was. And it was. It was just back and forth, guys dropping each other and just going ham in there uh, and the dramatic knee knockout to, to finish it off. And with this event shows you how great it was. By the end of it, we'd kind of almost forgotten, kind of been overlooked because yeah. just so much awesome <laughs> shit happened after that.
1: And also the same thing could be said of Almeida's knockout of Brad Pickett and even Matt Brown's submission over Tim Means in the last uh preliminary card, which was sort of where the evening turned around. Uh And just imagine how awesome it would be if we also had Stephen Thompson and Jake Ellenberger on this card instead of kind of spreading all that out over a bunch of different shows. But that is to take nothing away from UFC 189, which was uh the best. It was the best.
2: You know, and it's kind of, I, I picked Gunnar Nelson to beat uh, Brandon Thatch there. I didn't see him doing it the way he did it. I thought, it, you know, he'd just work on hauling him down to the mat and finishing off there. Gunnar Nelson's one of those guys where I think we all kind of cooled on him after the Rick Story fight where there's just no sense of urgency there. If he gets uh, gets his striking in order, maybe he starts to get a little more enthusiastic about going after people. He could be somebody I could get into. I tell you, the, the, the whole uh, blank, stoic grappling ace thing, you know that's right up my alley.
1: Yeah. No, that's, that's easy to get behind right there. You trying to become my guy, Gunner Nelson? Oh, boy. Creeping Can I call up, you Gunny? going to get one of those team folks fight kits. You'll be <laughs> excited about that. That's going to do it for Listener Mail this week. If you have a question, a comment, a concern that you want to air to the podcast in future weeks, you know how to do it. Go to the website, comainevent.com. And click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That'll put you in touch with us. While you're there, you can sign up for the Breakfast of Champions newsletter. But right now, we're going to get started with round number one. Round one of the co-main event podcast is presented by the National Academy of Sports Medicine. The National Academy of Sports Medicine is looking for people who want an exciting career in the fitness industry, where you wake up every day doing something that you love. NASM trainers improve people's lives by helping them reach their health and fitness goals. Don't miss this opportunity to start a career where you get to stay active and change people's lives. It doesn't get any better than that. NASM guarantees you'll land a job within 60 days of earning your CPT certification or your money back. Ben, tell them about the internet offer. which well, Chad, you can get a 14-day free trial
2: of fun online programs at myusatrainer.com. It's myusatrainer.com. Restrictions apply. See myusatrainer.com for details.
1: Well, Ben, on last week's show, we said if Conor McGregor came out and rolled through Chad Mendez in the main event of UFC 189, that would it would punch his ticket, and we would have no choice but to regard him as one of the elite fighters in the featherweight division, and he came out and did it, and so I think we have to give him his due respect for that at this point, he has established himself, I think, certainly as one of the best, you know, two, three, four fighters at 145 pounds. And in fact, now he is the interim UFC featherweight champion, which uh, should make all the suits back in Las Vegas pretty happy. Uh, and the interesting thing to me about this fight was that Conor McGregor won it handily in the second round by TKO stoppage, just before the bell, I suppose, uh, headed into the third round. And yet it was a fight where... Both of Conor McGregor's strengths and weaknesses seemed like they were fully on display. Uh, what did you think? How did you come away from this bout feeling about, about Conor McGregor, the new champ? Yeah, I, I kind of
2: agree with you there that I was surprised in two different extremes. I was surprised that he was taken down as easily and as many times as he was by Chad Mendez in relatively few attempts and relatively limited uh, amount of time and that his ground game once down there was pretty much hold on maybe try to get a stand up uh unless Mendez passes the guard and then you know scramble up and, and get to your feet it was just it was not a whole lot to it other than that uh, but then again I was surprised at how little striking he needed to do to really make his presence felt in there. He doesn't need to pile up stuff on you and and try to knock you out later on. He doesn't need to land the one big punch either. He can just hit you with a few different well-placed shots. And like Chad Mendes was saying afterwards when people asked him, hey, was it really especially harder than you thought he was going to hit? Was he hard- Does he hit harder than other people? And Mendez said, you know, it's not that it's so much harder, but he's really accurate. And you got that sense that when he saw his openings there and decided, okay, I'm going to go after him now – he didn't waste a whole lot. He really made them all count uh, and saw the opportunity there at the end of the second round and and really uh, just pushed his foot down on the gas pedal there and, and put Mendez away kind of with surprising speed there, so considering how the rest of the, the fight had gone up until that point.
1: Yeah, in terms of positives, I think you've got to give the guy credit for having a lot of natural punching power. He is very accurate, like Chad Mendes said. Uh, I'm impressed by his volume and the... Uh, uh, diversity of his strikes that he's able to throw it, uh, you know, his, his footwork and his mobility in the cage seems, uh, way above average. He did a great job cutting off the cage. I would say from a very early on in this fight, when you kind of saw Chad Mendez huffing and puffing and getting trapped up against the cage and not really circling out into the middle, uh, you got the impression of how this thing was going to go, uh, eventually. And really, I'm, you much- think so? I did, yeah, like, well, especially considering how, how quickly he gassed. And even though Chad Mendez was kind of able to get shockingly easy takedowns and, uh, would definitely won the first round and was on his way to winning the second round before he got knocked out. Uh, but with him gassing out and not really seeming to have either the wherewithal or the mobility to get himself, to keep himself from being trapped against the cage, the whole time I was watching it, I was like, does he have three more takedowns left in him cuz that's that's what it's going to take and it, it doesn't seem like it if he if he stays on the feet he's going to get knocked out at some point okay let's
2: talk about chad mendez gassing out because i think that that goes like what how you read that D- depends a lot on how you read this fight and, and these fighters coming into it. I and think.
1: what your bias is, yeah, frankly. Uh, yeah, I, and I think that it's
2: tempting in a situation like this to look for one explanation, why did Chad Mendez gas out? And that's where the biases come in, as you say. And it's probably more likely that it's a combination of explanations. Uh, you know, Was it... That he didn't have enough time to prepare because he took it on short notice. Was it that he gets in there and it's a huge fight? Conor McGregor pressures him immediately and, you know, it's an intense emotional experience and he wears himself out that way. Was it that he ate too many body shots early on? McGregor went right to work with some of those kicks there, uh, and kind of punished him. Uh, was it, you know, just not being in the kind of condition to fight that sort of fight? Was it the pressure of, of Conor McGregor? Any of those things? What do you, what did you think when you watched it and you saw, cause you could see him kind of in the first round breathing through his mouth a little bit, looking a little more tired than he usually looks. What did you think that was about?
1: Honestly, at, after having watched the fight, I would say if there was one element that maybe we overlooked in the pre-fight stage, it was the adrenaline dump. And maybe that's something that is impossible to plan for because Uh, this felt like maybe like just in terms of in arena atmosphere, this felt like maybe the biggest fight in UFC history. I don't think it's going to do a record shattering number, but like, you know, with the crazy Irish fans being there and the live walkouts and the hype videos on the canvas and maybe the insanity of having Robbie Lawler, Rory McDonald right before it. I think that especially coming in on just a couple of weeks notice when you probably weren't in full five round cardio shape to begin with, you come in there and it's really easy to get overwhelmed by the moment and to have the, to that adrenaline dump where as soon as the fight starts and you know, you get hit a couple times and you get over the original like rush of being in the fight. Suddenly you just feel really tired. And I think that happened to Chad Mendez. It didn't help that he got kicked in the body by Chad, by Conor McGregor. I would definitely say that that was a factor to it. Uh, it didn't help that he came in on two weeks notice. He was certainly probably a little bit undertrained, but I would agree with you that it was probably uh, a combination of all of those things. And it's obviously super unfair to undermine Conor McGregor's win by saying, ah, oh, he just beat Chad Mendez on two weeks notice. Cause again, like we've said all along, the only thing Conor McGregor has done is beat all the dudes, the UFC put in front of him uh, under all circumstances. But I do hope that we get to see them fight under normal circumstances at some point, because I think that that would be just as interesting, uh, since I don't think we saw the best Chad Mendes we could have seen,
2: that that is a distinct possibility. I think the way the featherweight division shapes up, it seems like a, a little bit of a mini round robin is going to happen eventually with you know Frankie Edgar, Jose Aldo, Conor McGregor, Chad Mendez, all those guys kind of flying around, and uh, all of them seeming you know pretty much a, well ahead of the rest of the division. There, I also think that 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 pressure that McGregor was putting him under, I, and I think that can take a. Kind of a emotional and intellectual toll on you a little bit, especially the guy's coming at you, you're tagging him with good shots. I mean Mendez was landing that overhand right. he hit him with a few good punches there, and McGregor's just shaking his head at him, telling him that was nothing uh he you're taking him down, and as Chad Mendez said afterwards on the post fight press conference, the guy did not stop talking shit the entire time. I think that that and then when you are on the feet, he's like you said. Trapping you against the cage and making you constantly worried. You don't have any space or, or a chance to, to step back and breathe and relax. The best chance you have is when you've taken him down and you're in there in his guard. And then you could tell Chad Mendes felt like, well, I need to work not to get stood up. And that seemed like, especially in the second round, that was all he was doing was saying, like, all right, a little clock inside my head tells me it's time to throw an elbow again, uh, to keep Herb Dean out of this one. And I think that when you have to be just constantly worried about what the other guy is going to do and you, you're starting to doubt whether your plan of attack is really going to bear the kind of fruit that you thought it was, even when you're able to do what you wanted to do, I think that that can wear you down a little bit, especially if you haven't had an entire camp to get into that that mode and that mindset and maybe even get used to, get your body back used to taking some some kicks to the gut, the kind of uh, kicks that you know Conor McGregor is going to throw at you, also the kind of kicks that probably ended up breaking Jose Aldo's damn rib, uh, unless you believe that was an old injury. Uh, but I think all that stuff, you're right, probably had an effect on him there. And then when he realized, oh shit, you know, I'm, I'm tired. And maybe that's what motivated him to, to pass the guard and try to look for a submission there to end the fight is thinking, I don't know if I can do this for five rounds.
1: Right. I think that was obviously he had to take those chances because those were sort of his only chances to finish the fight. I think he knew if it, we got into deep water that he would be in trouble. Uh, and man, it's a game of inches because if he gets one of those, the guillotine chokes which you know the second one looked close for a moment if he finishes that fight then we're having a completely different conversation today on Monday uh before we talk about Jose Aldo which I do want to talk about I think we should not fail to mention among Conor McGregor's strengths uh his mental state yeah uh, because you're right he even when he was down and and getting crushed with elbows and punches to the face he was still talking shit in Chad Mendez's ear and kind of you know maybe the secret Trump to the MMA gods in this instance because Conor McGregor never lost the faith. He never lost focus. Uh, I think at this point we have to admit he's one of the smarter fighters out there and so mentally sound that that, that could be one of his biggest strengths.
2: Yeah, frankly. and you know, especially during the fight, I remember really looking for that because once Mendez takes him down really easily the first couple times and you think oh shit is this the kind of night it's going to be and i was sitting in the crowd that i you know i told the, the ufc i was going to be working backstage for the first half so i didn't need a seat on press row so they gave me a ticket like kind of in the lower bowl right kind of where we we're telling people that they should sit it was an awesome seat i'm sitting there like surrounded by irish people with their faces painted and all kinds of stuff it was great and you could kind of feel even in the arena after some of those first couple takedowns from chad mendez where some people were starting to doubt it and thinking, oh." Is it going to be this? Is it just going to be this for 5 rounds? Are we going to slowly get our hearts broken? And when he split open McGregor had had him cut around his eye and you're looking at him waiting for for the facade to kind of crumble a little bit and it never it, it never even wavered. Right. He he never seemed to doubt it. He's constantly talking to the guy and just he seemed like at times maybe he was the only person whose confidence was never the least bit shaken. And that is a strength, you know. That and that is a strength that you kind of either have or you don't just that mental toughness.
1: All right. Well, let's talk about the Jose Aldo matchup briefly, which we think, uh you know, barring another injury, we're finally going to get in a fight that may turn out to be even bigger the second time around than the first time they tried to put it on because of this victory over Chad Mendez. More shocking. Well, maybe not shocking, because I think this is something we've seen from McGregor uh in the past, but like aside from the completely non-existent takedown defense, which I think was a thing that frankly, we all expected. Really, uh, I expected it to be a little better well, than that. Yeah, it was, it was shockingly bad. But I mean, we expected wrestling to be one of his deficient areas. Uh, he continues to get punched in the face an awful lot. And doesn't seem to mind. And walked right through him to his credit against Chad Mendez. Against Jose Aldo? I don't know if you can get punched in the face that much, man. I really don't. Uh And so we have an interesting situation with this jo- Jose Aldo match where, admittedly, as we've said, Jose Aldo's going to come out and probably play into Conor McGregor's strengths because he's a stand-up fighter, and McGregor certainly has that power and might be able to, to pressure and disrupt Jose Aldo and ultimately knock him out. But man, I think against a fighter as technically proficient and as powerful himself as Jose Aldo, if you let him punch you in the face that many times. You're probably going to get knocked out.
2: Well, and also let's not forget the first thing that people said when they started talking about the Jose Aldo-Conor McGregor matchup is with that kind of wide, low karate stance type thing that Conor McGregor has, is, Joe, is Jose Aldo just going to shred his legs to right. pieces Which with is kicks? still a danger, I think. Yeah, and especially when... McGregor's style depends so heavily on uh, controlling distance, controlling the space, and if a guy can take your legs away from you and, and slow your feet down, your ability to do that rapidly diminishes, and you wonder how he'll respond to that. I mean, sure, he can, he can take the punches. He's mentally strong. That's not necessarily going to help you if you can't move your legs after Jose Aldo has kicked the shit out of him.
1: Yeah, it's, I'm still as fired up for it as I was before, perhaps even more so. Definitely more so. After this win over, over Chad Mendez. Uh, I wanted to get into the ultimate fighter and Conor McGregor coaching against Uriah Faber. We don't really have time for that at the moment. I'm uh, sure there'll be
2: other we're, opportunities we're, to discuss it. We're going to,
1: to discourse about it. We, we're going to have a chance to, to break that down a little bit later on. Uh, let me just say to, uh, quote the, the rapper, uh, I don't believe you. The uh, who, who did that song? I, 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 I know the song you're talking about. No, I'll look it remember. up and we'll, we'll have it for round two. But when the UFC says they don't expect uh, Conor McGregor and Uriah Faber to eventually fight, I don't believe you. You're Shaq's cousin. I don't believe you. <laughs> Sir Nigel Longstock is here. We're going to get uh, started with the first game of Master, Sweet, Master Tweet Theater that we've played in a long time. Uh, that starts right now.
2: is that time once again chad we welcome back to the podcast noted theatricalist friend of the show and missing in action for a little while there sir nigel longstock yay Yay. sir nigel how are you
0: sir i am clinging to life
2: do you want to tell people where you've been
0: well sir sir nigel briefly exchanged places with his audience and experienced uncontrollable vomiting oh no several weeks um, but a man who has attained such great heights of theatricalism as I cannot help but succumb to vertigo periodically.
2: So basically what you're saying is you traveled to the underworld.
0: That is correct. I got real sick. I went down and found the lyre the of Orpheus and possibly an apple, I'm not sure. Uh, and I took that shit right back with me to Master Tweet Theater.
2: When in doubt about them, uh, them Greek myths, as Omar would say. Throw an apple in there. There's yes. usually one in there.
0: I'll be plucking my lyre at home later. I assure you.
2: Uh, so do you have a theme for this week's Master Tweet Theater? Yes,
0: sir, I do. The theme is sick of it. Okay. Just sick of it.
2: Is this a theme from your life or from Master Tweet Theater?
0: Well, that's what makes it clever, sir. All these tweets are people who are sick of things presented to you by a man who is just sick. All right. All right. I'll take that. <clears throat> Let us begin then. <clears throat> Tweet the first. Red leather, yellow leather. Wobbly Robbie Lawler.
2: It's weird how I kind of missed him. And now that he's here, I'm, he's I'm cured. Can't wait
0: to get it over with. Yeah. now. <clears throat> Tweet the first. You're not supposed to hurl your dinner. You're support to run it off. Common now. What was that last part? Uh You're not supposed to hurl your dinner. You're support to run it off. Common now. I assume he meant you're supposed to run it. Off. Yeah. Okay. And then was the last part a comma? Common. common now. Common now. Yes. I assume he implies that hurling your dinner is common now.
2: I'm going to say, you know, hurling. That doesn't sound like an American way of talking about vomiting. I'm going to say maybe Michael Bisping. So we not just trying to announce his presence with authority now that he's back here. Well,
1: this is either maybe a drunk person or a person who doesn't speak the language.
2: Perhaps? I mean, that just describes like 80% of MMA tweeters.
1: You know what? Because of the awkwardness of language and the autocorrect mistake,
0: I'm going to go with Vanderly Silva. Well, that, okay. All right. Both fine guesses, both based in precedent, and both wrong. It is Dominic Cruz. Huh. The Dominator instructing his followers not to binge and purge.
2: All right, well, I would think a, a guy who'd been laid up with serious knee injuries might have found some other option than to run off your dinner. But hey, what do I know?
0: Perhaps he cracked it on the toilet when he was running in there. <laughs> all right. <clears throat> Tweet the second. Back me into a corner in life, a fight, anything or anywhere. I'm knocking anyone out. Thanks for all the love and support. UFC 189.
2: I got this one. Jed, you got you? this one? Yeah.
0: Uh,
1: it sounds like Robbie Lawler. That's just my guess. It's Jeremy Stevens.
0: Oh, well, yeah,
1: he's another. Could have been him, too.
0: It is. It is Des Moines' own Jeremy Little Heathen Stevens threatening to knock you out in non-fighting scenarios. What's he sick of there? Uh, you Being know, he's into sick of people backing him into a corner. You can try to take Jeremy Stevens to the vet, and he's going to mess you up. <laughs> uh,
1: it should be noted that it was reported, you know, a couple years ago that he had a problem with that, knocking people out in non-fighting settings, non-professional fighting settings.
2: So what you're saying, it was a... it. That allegedly, if that had in fact happened, that it was the fault of the people who got knocked out for backing him into a corner?
1: Allegedly, someone backed him into a corner.
2: Well, I'd hate to see what happens if he's ever involved in some kind of police standoff situation.
0: <laughs> I don't know if you guys have been to Des Moines, but it is socially acceptable to just dog people in the mouth there. <laughs> that's,
2: that's cool. Sir Nigel, just say dog people in the mouth. He
0: might have. Don't dog me in the mouth in my own pad. <laughs> <clears throat> Tweet the third. Tweet tweet the fourth. I'm sorry. Tweet the third. third. (laughs) Tweet the third. Home to visit the family, and it's time to go fly fishing if anyone wants to join me. Wait, hold on. Sick of it? (laughs) (laughs) Sick of the company of his family. Wow,
2: he's really really looking deep into this one. Fly fishing, though, that kind of puts us in certain geographical locales. You got any thoughts there, Chad? Uh,
1: Um, Yeah, I'm going to go with Colorado native and guy who is known to invite strangers along on his recreational activities on Twitter, Donald Cerrone. Oh, that's a good... Fly fishing seems kind of low-key for him, though, doesn't it? Yeah, maybe he did it in the nude or on a very high rock. I don't know. Once the fish is out of the water, he shoots it with a shotgun. (laughs) (laughs) Um...
2: Let's say another dude who I think is from the Pacific Northwest, Benji Raddick.
0: Hmm. Wow. wow, that'd be obscure. Both fine guesses, both grounded in geography, and both wrong, and it's Jen's pulver. Oh, oh. Yeah, from Idaho. Oh, yeah. see, I, this whole time I believed he was from eastern Iowa.
2: Well, that's just, you're thinking of the Militich uh, link there.
0: I suppose so. Hmm, well, a mystery. Hmm, tweet the fourth. Dana White, shut up! You are not warrior to speak like Warrior, who has never been to war, cannot! Now that! That is Vanderlei
1: Silva, my man. You can also see, though, what led me to guess Vanderlei Silva earlier with the awkwardness of language and the autocorrect mistake. Honestly, I think this one proves how
2: wrong-headed your original Vanderlei Silva guess was, because this, the other one was like, it was a little awkward, like one autocorrect mistake. This one, you know what? Please, one more time again.
0: Mm-hmm. At Dana White, shut up! You are not warion. To speak like warrior who has never been to war cannot. Perfect.
1: Okay, yeah. That's I perfection mean, right there. I think you're being a little too over-analytical about it. But.
0: It is Vanderlei Silva. <laughs> yeah, thank you. And he cannot see his phone before, after, or during tweeting. <laughs> he gets his point across. He does. I agree with him. Shut up, Dana White. Not a warrior. <laughs> <clears throat> Tweet the fifth. I'm not twenty eight, but there are a lot of twenty-seven year old guys fighting that couldn't hold my jock.
2: I don't I
1: don't know what's going on there. The poet Philip Baroni
2: Okay. <sighs> Mark Coleman?
1: Whoa,
0: okay. Both fine guesses, both old men, but only one correct. It is Phil Baroni, the poet. His words ringing down the ages, just begging a 27-year-old to, oh, I don't know, dog him in the mouth.
2: (laughs) I appreciate him reminding us that he is not in his athletic prime, lest we are in danger of forgetting.
0: At some point in his life, Phil Baroni will be beaten up in a Walmart parking lot by a man 30 years his junior. This is my prediction.
2: Wow, that's grim.
0: Just That's a free prediction. We're not even supposed to get predictions during Master Tweet Theater.
2: Just giving that one away.
0: My closeness to death has given me odd visions of the future.
2: (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) Well, I guess that's it for Master Tweet Theater. So, Nigel, what do you got going on?
0: You know, it's funny you should ask, sir. Despite my illness, I've just finished wrapping an exciting film about a young man struggling to navigate the changes of adolescence while he trades penny stocks high on quaaludes. I see, what's it called? It's called Teen Wolf of Wall Street. And what role do you play? I play the fat friend. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, that was Master Tweet Theater, and that was Sir Nigel Longstock.
0: Thank you, sir.
2: Chad, remember how we had to scramble just to recall that there were two title fights on this card? One real, legit title fight that we weren't talking about. And so it probably wouldn't even be worth mentioning. Or it would be one of the greatest fucking fights of all time. A goddamn bloodbath where both men get their whole shit broke. Whole shit broke. Robert Glenn Lawler goes out there it's kind of looking bad for him against Roy McDonald. You know, he had some moments early on and the McDonald came on, hurt him, wobbled him, looked like he might put him away, uh, split his lip. Like, I don't even know what you call that. I've never even seen that really happen to someone's lip where you basically like just give them a, a non-consensual smile, maybe a non-consensual smirk because it only went up on one side that they are forced to then wear around the rest of their lives. And somehow then in the fifth round, Robbie Lawler comes after Roy McDonald's already smashed and bloody and broken face, lands that one left hand that makes Roy McDonald go, "Uh uh-oh, I got to sit down.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, Real quick, it was Cool Keith was the rapper who did I Don't Believe You, which is an awesome song. Good Uh, work. Everybody go back there and check that out. Uh, But yeah, you know what? Let's give props to Roy McDonald for getting his nose broke in like the second round and continuing to fight. Uh, all the way until, until the final round. This, this was, you know, it started out a little bit like their first fight, a very slow paced, kind of methodical first round. And then eventually it, uh, either evolved or devolved, depending on how you want to look at it, into a complete, unbelievable bloodbath and slobber knocker. And the kind of fight that is like your most, it's like your wildest, most drunken weekend full of just rampant, unprotected sex where it's awesome while you're having it. And then you wake up on Monday and you're like, man, I need to think about what I'm doing in my life. You know what I mean? Yeah. That was this fight, man. Cause this fight was awesome. And then the next day you just, you wake up and you're like, I feel kind of bad for watching that. And, and, Bad for those guys' lives and faces and careers, but damn, it was awesome. You know, one of the things,
2: too, that that gif, I'm sure you saw that gif. We put it up on MMA Junkie of, uh, you know, the camera just fixed on Roy McDonald after he's down, and he's kind of trying to sit up. He's so covered in blood, and the blood's just dripping down on his legs, uh, and... John McCarthy is there trying to help him. The ringside doctor comes in. She's just like – she has this gauze in her hand. You could see her like she's kind of trying to play pin the tail on the donkey. Like where do you even put it on this guy? At some
1: point, someone is like, we're going to need more gauze.
2: (laughs) She just kind of sticks it onto his nose and then he just collapses backwards with the gauze still stuck to his face. And it's an even more gut-wrenching scene because you know how tough Rory McDonald is. You know that that doesn't happen to him easily. Like not like it would happen to the rest of us where let us get a pretty good bloody nose on and we're going to need to lie down. Uh, he he can take that shit. He did take it for several rounds after his nose got busted. And to see him eat that shot and then just kind of say no moss, and afterwards still so completely out of it. And you you factor in what you know of his existing toughness quotient and you go, wow, that yeah. must have been bad.
1: A normal person would have tapped out and then told the story for the rest of their life had they gotten their nose broken (laughs) by Robbie Lawler in the second round. Uh, Rory McDonald continued to fight on until the nose was destroyed. Let's talk about Robbie Lawler, though. Uh, UFC welterweight champion has now defended his title, which as the old fight cliche uh, goes, officially coronates him now as the champion, the standard bearer since George St. Pierre unexpectedly walked away from the sport in 2013. He's won four fights in a row. He's seven and one since returning to the UFC. Uh, his drop from middleweight to welterweight, his move to American top team in Florida, uh, the the kind of retooling of his training, which you have written about on MMA Junkie before, uh, has kind of produced a monster in Robbie Lawler, who is the best welterweight in the world at this point, unexpectedly in his early thirties after, you know, having been a UFC fighter since like 2002 and, and age 19 or some ridiculous bullshit. Uh, yet at the same time, he has this penchant for getting himself in these awesome fights, uh, which he's now done against Roy McDonald and against uh, Johnny Hendricks, where really close slug fests that kind of makes you wonder how long he's going to be able to hold on to the title because there's going to be no shortage of challengers. At this point, you got Johnny Hendricks still out there, Tyron Woodley's still out there, Carlos Condit is back now. There's going to be a lot of dudes who are who are coming at the king, so yeah. to speak, with well, all apologies to Rory McDonald.
2: It, it also makes you wonder just how long he can physically do that. Because you're right, he's been in some punishing fights, and that's just kind of his style. He likes those, and he... A lot For a lot of years, his style was, let me see if I can draw you into that sort of thing. Because I feel like if we just both put our heads down and throw and see who falls down first, it ain't going to be Robert Glenn Lawler. And he's usually been right about that. But you're right, now he's in his early 30s, and you start to get the sense after a fight like that, man, he's going to be able to do that right up until he's not. And it makes you a little bit worried. But it does also, though, you're right, him defending the title... That's when it felt real, like, okay, Robbie Lawler is the champ. Because we've seen that welterweight title, uh, it just hasn't felt like it had a permanent owner since GSP walked away. And now, especially beating Johnny Hendricks in that very close fight, you could argue with it. But then when he goes out there and stops Rory McDonald, comes back, comes from behind, just a crazy fight. You, you walk away going, okay, Robbie Lawler is the UFC welterweight champion, uh, and it, it feels real now. And now you just start to think about, man, what's next? Because I don't know if anybody's super psyched to see another Johnny Hendricks fight right now.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the good news, if if you're a fan of the Welderweight division, which I saw somebody on Twitter say, bar none, has the most crazy motherfuckers in it of any division in the UFC, which I think is probably But we true. still count Nick Diaz? Yeah, but I mean even without him, man, Rory McDonald, Robbie Lawler, Carlos Condit is vicious as hell, Matt Brown, uh now you got Stephen Thompson, Gunnar Nelson starting to to show their faces, like that's a crazy division. So I don't think there's going to be uh any shortage of like awesome fights for Robbie Lawler. In fact, I think you know, whether it be Hendricks or Woodley or Condit uh, you kind of get yourself into a, uh, into an awesome fight no matter what you do with Robbie Lawler. And that's, i be, I think both his great strength as a fighter and his great weakness as a champion, because like we said, a lot of them boil down to really close fights. Uh, it doesn't feel at this point like George St. Pierre will return. Uh, even though we've, we, you know, with the drug testing and stuff like that, we've made some strides, I think, to, to, uh, knock down the obstacles that he was citing
2: maybe you use this the fall of the red king to entice him back yeah. somebody needs to avenge this george some don't let this stand
1: yeah wow that's that'd be quite the motivating factor there if you wanted to call george on whatever movie set he's hanging out on doing stunts and and ask him if he wants to come back it would be an awesome fight i would love to see it i just don't think we're going to get it at this point ben the, maybe it's hard to say since Lawler has had so many close fights, but who is the biggest threat at this point in the welterweight division? Is it still Johnny Hendricks, even though, like you said, a third fight between those guys might feel a little bit like a retread, even though their first two fights were both kind of instant classics?
2: You know, one of the things about the Johnny Hendricks series of fights for him is it still feels like there's always something you can say about that particular fight to to feel like, well, maybe we didn't see how it would normally have gone, right? Like in the first one, there's that Johnny Hendrix tore his bicep or something. He couldn't really wrestle, had to stand in there and bang with Robbie Lawler, which is maybe not the greatest idea. But he won it anyway, close fight. And then the second one where it seems like maybe because of a, a rough weight cut he really lost it down the stretch. Like it it was another one of those fights where it came down to the fifth round and Johnny Hendricks looked like he was just trying to survive it where Robbie Lawler was going after him and that seemed to really make the difference in that fight. And so you wonder, you know, would a third fight just look completely differently? It still seems, maybe it's just the old school MMA viewer in me it still seems like the, the greatest threat to a guy like Robbie Lawler has got to be wrestlers, right? Yeah. A, a good wrestler who can really go in there and plant him on his back. I mean, he's closed a lot of those holes in his game and has gotten much better about that kind of thing. Uh, but it, it it still seems like maybe just because what other option is there? You're not going to just stand there and be like, I bet I hit harder than him and I'm just tougher.
1: Yeah. I think a Carlos Condit fight would be madness. I would love to see that but I think, I think it
2: would too and I think Carlos Condit gets hurt bad by by the end of it.
1: To your uh, to his credit though, even during the times in this fight when he was super messed up, Robbie Lawler was, you know, did, doing a good job stuffing all of Rory McDonald's takedown attempts. So he is a hard guy to take down at this point. Let's do are you fucking kidding me but before we do that just a nod at the awesome moment at the end of round 4. Where Robbie Lawler and Rory McDonald just stood there and stared at each other like a couple of murderers.
2: I'm not I'm not taking a backward step first. I'm not looking away.
1: Until Big John McCarthy and a cut man had to drag them both away.
2: <laughs> Big John McCarthy again having to be the reasonable adult in the room be like, hey, look, you're going to fight again in like 60 seconds. You don't have to mad dog each other. We're going to let you fight. Just
1: take a break for Christ's <laughs> sakes. Ben, at some point inside Zufa LLC headquarters, a meeting was held to decide how to replace Face the Pain as the official opening theme of the UFC pay-per-view events. And at some point, we can only assume that at that meeting, somebody said in all seriousness, "Uh, maybe we should do a Face the Pain remix? and somehow that person was not immediately fired are you fucking <laughs> kidding me ufc you replaced face the pain with face the pain I the remix it. i can only assume this is an elaborate joke on us like you you want to see how shitty you can make it and still convince us that you're trying to make the do a good job
0: you fucking kidding.
1: I just hope that the homies in STEM are still getting some royalties from those samples. Are you fucking kidding me? So they they felt like,
2: you know, the problem that fans have with Face the Pain is the musical composition. They love the lyrics.
1: Yes. They want it to be more (laughs) EDM-centric is is what the problem has always been.
2: Well, Chad, this week, my Are You Fucking Kidding Me? You know, I mentioned the Irish fans at the top uh, and a a little playful jab at them, but I must give them an Are You Fucking Kidding Me for how passionate and awesome they are, especially when I I started to think about what would it take to get a few thousand American fans to drop the money to fly over to Ireland, show up wearing suits, like actual fucking suits, like four dudes all together, Chad, I saw wearing shamrock suits that he had clearly coordinated beforehand and all of them had like two beers in their hand at the time. What would it take to get American fans to do some shit like that, to show up for a guy just because he also happens to be an American and you like you like the cut of his jib, you like the way he's representing the country? What would it take to get American fans to be that fired up, that enthusiastic, and that passionate about any single American fighter? We wouldn't do it. We wouldn't spend that kind of money, take that kind of time, go out there act fucking nuts and have what seemed to be, at least for them, maybe not for the people who had to serve them drinks or tell them that they could no longer be served drinks, an awesome fucking time. Are you fucking kidding me, Irish fans? You kind of make me glad to be an MMA fan when I can look over there and see you having an awesome time and freaking out
1: and it feels like I'm sort of having fun even if I don't want to. you fucking kidding me? Are you fucking kidding me? Man, I think they got to do this Jose Aldo fight somewhere where you can get an arena half full of Brazilians and half full of of Irish people. And then obviously everyone else would evacuate the city. Right. And we would just let them fight it out. But I would just like to sit from the comfort of my own home and watch that on television. I'm just going
2: to throw this out there. There's got to be some kind of like abandoned James Bond villain island in the middle of the Atlantic somewhere, right? That they could just meet kind of in the middle
1: either there or uncasville connecticut i think are your two (laughs) spots anyway that's gonna do it for round number two we'll be right back with round number three Ben, I don't know if you watched the hype interview videos leading up to Steven Thompson's fight with Jake Ellenberger. Oh, since,
2: hell no. I skipped through all that watched crap. this
1: thing on the DVD whoop, or DVR. Whoop, whoop. Uh, That's what it looks like. Jake Ellenberger pulled out kind of a sweet wrestler move leading up to this fight where they asked him about Stephen Thompson. And he said something like, huh, I ain't too very worried about him or something like that. <laughs> Which at the time was awesome, but then he went out and got kicked in his face every way you could possibly get kicked, <laughs> including one of those, like, weird Sean Jordan-style hook kicks where you take the heel right to the chin, uh, and I think that was the moment where I saw Jake Gellberger go, uh-oh. Yeah. Anyway, he gets finished. Uh, am, I, am I in the Kumite? What the <laughs> fuck just <this> happened? <laughs> he ends up getting finished late in the first round. Uh, he takes a spinning hook kick. A heel essentially, right to the middle of the forehead, and uh stumbles awkwardly, i I guess you would say, and gets finished on the ground by strikes. What are we thinking about Stephen Thompson at this point with his weird like youth pastor vibe <laughs> like he, or like Mormon missionary? like he would come to your door uh to spread the good word. And if you didn't want to hear it, then obviously hook kick you in the face. <laughs> but like, I don't know. He seems kind of cool to me, and also like around the edges a little creepy. Really, I don't get the the creepy vibe from him. I, mean, I thought it was creepy when he kept saying "baby" to John Anna. <laughs> okay, in the in the post fight. Well,
2: you know, you get fired up, Chad. You just get so excited in there. I I, I love that style. I love you know one of the things I think when I watch that guy fight is how. It reminds you we're we've often in in mixed martial arts been too quick to decide. Okay, here's what mixed martial arts is. Here's what we've learned. We've learned that this karate bullshit doesn't work. Right. We've learned that it's about wrestling, jujitsu, boxing, and you know maybe a little bit of muay thai. You know we kind of fixed our perceptions about what mixed martial arts had taught us about fighting styles and what could and, and couldn't actually really work. And guys like you know Machida before him and, and but especially uh, a guy like uh, Wonder Man Stephen Thompson, uh, he really reminds you that if you can make it work, you can make it work. And if you're good enough and you you know how to how to adapt that style, a guy like Jake Ellenberger, you'd think, hey, go ahead, throw some crazy kicks at me. I'm a wrestler that that's a, just giving me one step closer to the takedown I want to get. And yet he can't really, even when he's able to essentially get to Stephen Thompson's back when one of those spinning kicks kind of fails on him, he can't really do anything with him. Even when he's able to get him down on the mat, he can't really do anything with him. You see that uh, a guy like that can go out there and just totally fucking befuddle a really good and experienced grappler and fighter like Jake Ellenberger. That shit is impressive.
1: Yeah, I think it speaks to the fascinating and wonderful evolution of the sport, man, that we you know, we, it started out very simply. It was almost like, uh, mixed martial arts eliminated a lot of martial arts techniques that, that we judged, uh, you know, not effective and, and threw them out. And now we've evolved to the point where everyone kind of knows the basics and, you know, it's, it's become its own art. And not only do you have people coming in with a foundation that allows them to build on top of that with additional skills, but you also have Uh, high level athletes that are going to be able to come out and pull off a spinning hook kick. Uh, so to me, it's, it's just another fascinating element of this sport and its evolution to see this traditional martial arts that had one at one point been so discounted come into a fight like this and prove extremely effective and extremely dangerous. Yeah. Well, and especially you, you know, you're watching this fight and Looking
2: at Jake Ellenberger and going, man, why are you staying in kicking distance with this guy? Cause that just seems like a nightmare scenario. You know, you're not, you're not close enough to really crowd him and take that away from him. Uh, you're not so far out that he can't use it on you. And then when he does try to get up in his face a little bit, Stephen Thompson just throws out that really short, straight left hand right on his nose and just basically like, nope, don't do that. Yeah. Back up. And you, you realize, okay, this is a guy who, it, you know, you think you're gonna go out there and you're gonna look at what he's doing, this, this unusual style that he has for mixed martial arts, and you're gonna say, okay, here's how you beat it. And then you go out there and you try that and you realize, he's thought of that already. Uh, same thing when you go to try to, uh, get into a scramble with him on the mat and you realize, okay, he's, this is not the first time it has occurred to him that somebody might try this approach. Uh, that's when I start to get excited about a guy like Stephen Thompson and wonder, where can he go?
1: Yeah, you know, we talked about Gunnar Nelson at the top of the show being a welterweight that had started out with some hype and then had, we'd kind of forgotten about him. Stephen Thompson, maybe the same way. Uh, he came in, obviously, with that uh, highlight reel head kick knockout in, in at UFC 143 in his first fight. Then he turned around and immediately lost to Matt Brown, and I think that that cooled a lot of the hype and, and expectation for him. Well, since then, he's now won five fights in a row, and even though Jake Ellenberger, I think we all admit, is on the downside of his career and is now one in four in his last five fights. And the only win in there is Josh Koscheck. So, uh, you know, take that as for what it's worth. Uh, but it seems like Steven Thompson now is a guy who, who, Has gotten some legitimate wins in the UFC and is sort of building himself back up to contender status. He's back on the welterweight official rankings now at number nine, and uh, people were talking about having him fight Gunnar Nelson, which frankly I wouldn't be mad at.
2: Yeah, no, neither would I. And you know the thing about the the his Matt Brown loss because you look at his record and you're right that it like I think in retrospect it looks different than it looked at the time because that was in 2012. You know that was only his second fight in the UFC and it was it's a A big jump, uh, we realize now to go from Dan Stitchin to to Matt Brown. And that, but at the time, that was the Matt Brown of winning, you know, one and then losing several in a row and then, you know, just barely staying employed. And so it seemed like, well, shit, you can't beat Matt Brown. Maybe we shouldn't get too excited about your crazy kicks and spinning Dragon Ball Z shit after the fight, kid. But now you look at what Matt Brown has become and what he went on to become fairly quickly after that win. And you think, all right, maybe if they did it again, brother, it'd be a little different. Uh, and maybe it was just kind of a growing pains kind of scenario for Stephen Thompson. Uh I don't know. I It's one of those things where you wonder, does the UFC want to put him up against another young guy who seems like he's on the rise like Gunnar Nelson and let's see, let's find out who's the real deal to get behind? Or do they want to keep doing what you could argue they've been doing the last couple fights here with like Patrick Cote and Jake Ellenberger is take a guy who's still got a name, but like you said, on a little bit of the downslope of his career, throw him in there and uh let Stephen Thompson show out against him.
1: Yeah, it would certainly be in uh, some old school style matchmaking to put those two guys in there. And let them fight it out because one of them would would obviously suffer a setback. I don't know if maybe the, what we would call the Conor McGregor, McGregor era of matchmaking in the UFC would call for them both to get kind of built up a little more. As far as I'm concerned, the natural exuberance of the wonder guy, Stephen Thompson, against the icy Nordic stoic death stare of Gunnar Nelson would be too awesome to to leave be but that's just me I'm not a professional matchmaker
2: hashtag would watch
1: would watch indeed Ben let's do just saying stuff then we'll get out of here for this week uh Ben what's your just saying stuff for this week well Chad this week I'm just saying you know we both really
2: enjoyed I think the live music walkouts I also enjoyed your point on Twitter that uh you know even if you're not super into Aaron Lewis it is not Probably the easiest thing in the world to play your guitar and sing a song while the entire arena is singing a different song.
1: Yeah, that was some, that was professionalism right there, <laughs> regardless of what you think of the man's music. I'm just saying, if
2: we're gonna do the live music walkouts for future big fights in the UFC, can we start thinking about what would be actually awesome music to listen to in a live walkout? There's nothing against either Aaron Lewis or Sinead O'Connor. I'd love me some Sinead O'Connor. But can we get a little fucking energy in these songs, Chad? Both just kind of slow dirges to walk us out there. I felt like it's such a great opportunity. You got the live music there. You, you Everybody already is pretty hyped up. And then you kind of bring them down with these slow tempo songs. I mean... Can we let one of these, let Matt Brown get one of his death metal bands out there or something? Let, let Josh Barnett bring Warhammer or whoever it is that he likes. Let somebody come in there and, and have a little fun with that live music walkout. Cause I'm just saying that could be awesome. It could also be just kind of a letdown.
1: Just saying. Well, yeah. Like I said last week, we better hope Dana White never finds out about flogging Molly or else they'll be the house <laughs> band for every Conor McGregor pay per view from now until the end of time. Did you notice when this fight, as soon as this fight was over, they threw on shipping up to Boston?
2: I did notice that. Like
1: Dana White burst into the DJ booth. You guys, like, put on dropkick burpees right away. <laughs> ben, you probably also received this email from Bellator MMA today, uh, but just a couple nights after Irish MMA fans, as we said, shut down Las Vegas to celebrate Conor McGregor's win. Uh... Bellator announced a new main card bout for the next Bellator show, calling it, quote, an intense Irish battle slated for Bellator MMA this Friday, pitting, quote, Irish Brennan Ward, who, by the way, his Twitter handle really is at Swaggleberry Finn. I know that we had a discussion about that last time, so I checked it out, and it is. He's going to take on Roger, quote, the Leprechaun Carol in an Irish scrap of the next. Come on, Bellator. Even you can do better than this. This is this is like when you're walking through Brooklyn and you see those those street stands where you can buy Tommy Hifliger gear or like a, a Rulex watch. This is some off brand shit, Bellator. Come on. I'm just saying.
2: I saw that email and my first thought was, is Bellator
1: fucking with us? I mean it would be awesome if they were. If they weren't just trying to glom on to whatever the zeitgeist is at the moment and were actually trying to mess with us, that I would be into. Like
2: we hey, fuck it. We tried to make Russians catch on, but you want Irish? Fine. Fine.
1: Here's a dude called the Leprechaun. Fuck shove you guys. shove him out the curtain onto the stage. We'll
2: find every Irish motherfucker to ever strap on a pair of gloves and see how you like it.
1: Well, that is going to do it for this episode of the Co-Main Event Podcast. We'll be back next week to break down the stuff that happens in this Frank Mir-Todd Duffy fight, and also the Michael Bisping-Talus Latest fight, and look ahead to whatever fight is happening the week after that. As for right now, though, we are done, we are through, we are out. You know, one thing I will say about
2: the Leprechaun as a fighter nickname... At least I believe that maybe it wasn't a nickname you gave yourself. Because why would you?
1: Right. I mean, the best you can do there is that it conjures images of those evil leprechaun movies, right? Yes. And even that guy wouldn't do that good in, a, in an anime. No. Although he could probably get down to a little bit. He could probably be a flyer.